Hey, Tough Cookies. In this episode, I'm talking with Liz Wiegand of Agricultural Connections. We're going to be talking about local food, why it's important, and give you some tips on how to buy local. If you like this episode, you should definitely check out episode three with Jess Weiland from High Desert Food and Farm Alliance, where we overlap on a lot of topics. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Tough Cookie Podcast, the podcast that celebrates badass women in food. I'm your host, Darlene Wienheisen, food content creator over at PickleJarStudios.com. And today I'm here with Elizabeth Wiegand, owner of Agricultural Connections. Elizabeth, welcome to Tough Cookie. Thank you, Darlene. I'm so excited to have you because this is actually the first freshly recorded episode of 2018. The other um, episodes were actually recorded last year when I was very, very pregnant. So (laughs) this feels like I'm back in the saddle of podcasting and it's been um, fun preparing for this episode. Um, So anyways, I'm glad to have you here. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be a part of your first 2018 episode. Yeah. So I wanted to um, have you tell our listeners a little bit about um, what Agricultural Connections does and um, maybe kind of the history of, of what they've done and how they came to be and then how you um, joined them and how you got involved. Great. Yeah, so our motto is we bring sustainable food to kitchens of all sizes. So um, basically, that's pretty much what we do. We work with local farmers here in Central Oregon, as well as the Willamette Valley uh, year round. And we deliver food to households in Central Oregon, as well as to restaurants and small grocery stores. Nice. Yeah. The business um, was founded in 2010, in January, so we're just barely eight years old. Okay. Um, And it was founded by a gentleman named Andrew Adams. Um, Andrew, in January, or probably leading up to that, realized that there was something lacking in Bend in the (laughs) wintertime, and that was an ability to get kind of like a farmer's market source of food during the wintertime. So he saw this niche, went out, connected with a bunch of farmers over in the Willamette Valley, because that's where he knew he could find food at this time of year, and started kind of grassroots connecting with different customers all via email, and had two different produce box sizes. He had a, a individual and a family, which we now call a small and a standard, and um, did just word of mouth and email orders, um, I think, the day before he would go drive to the valley and pick up all the food. And it just grew from there. So yeah, eight months later, I found out about the business from a friend of mine. Um, I was at the, at the time I was kind of doing a part-time gig working in the city of Damascus outside of Portland Mm -hmm. and commuting back and forth from Bend to there once a week, working two 10 hour shifts and then driving back to Bend. Wow. Um, I had just finished my master's degree in landscape architecture mm-hmm. and was trying to find work. We might remember at that time of year, it was, or at that time, um, it was 2010. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just kind of a bad, hard it time was, to find yeah. work. So I was really fortunate that I'd had an internship with the city of Damascus as an assistant planner 
um, through the kind of last half of my graduate studies. Um, and they were really interested in hiring me as a full-time planner. And I really, really, really wanted to find a way to stay in Central Oregon. So mm. I'd been living in the Valley for about five years, Portland and Eugene. And um, wasn't for you. <laughs> I, I loved it. I absolutely loved Eugene. I yeah. love Portland. I love, but you know, that side of Oregon is wonderful, but I really, something was drawing me back to Central Oregon. My, I grew up here. I grew up in Madras on a farm mm. and I missed the sagebrush and the juniper and just wanted to be back home and which was a total surprise to me. I had never thought that that was something that I would feel. And so mm -hmm. I was pursuing all these different opportunities, um, looking for jobs with the forest service in the city and parks and rec department and private design firms and maybe kind of exploring if I could do something on my own and was all still focused on landscape architecture. Yeah, yeah. Design. So I was really interested in either small scale design, like a native and edible landscaping. Mm, so I was kind of going nice. to take it one of two directions, either that direction, small scale residential design focused on natives and edibles or go the planning route, which a lot of landscape architects, um, most folks don't understand that like landscape architects go totally different directions. You can go into more of a design focus or you can get, go into more of a planning focus. And I was also really curious about working on a larger landscape and kind of thinking more long-term about how a city unfolds um, mm -hmm. and the decisions that planners uh, make to kind of have that vision mm -hmm. for what life is like for people to interact with their community and you know. So like thinking 15, 20 years down the road yep. of what a city looks like and how they're using their space, their outdoor spaces kind of? Outdoor spaces, but also um, like the way a sidewalk feels when you walk down mm -hmm. it. Is it right next to the bike lane or is there a, a, a zone between the bike lane and the sidewalk that has trees and you have this experience of a wall next to you that's either 10 foot tall or maybe it's 50 feet tall or 30 feet tall like mm -hmm. all of the feeling behind um, designing an urban space um, involving plants or not or both because our urban landscapes are obviously an assortment of hardscapes and also softscapes so yeah i was really curious about that and um, wanting to be a part of that how you have a vision for, say, Bend, Oregon, and what do we want, for example, what do we want the Makers District to feel like in 20 years for people living in Bend um, and being a part of that decision-making process? Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I was looking at all of these options and not finding any work here and um, an opportunity to manage this food business called Agricultural Connections was presented to me. And it was the day after I had accepted a full-time position at the city of Damascus. Mm. And I interviewed for the job anyway with Andrew. And he offered me the position two days later. And then that same week, I told my boss at Damascus that I was not going to be around for more than one month after. Oh, <laughs> so geez. I changed my mind on <laughs> Damascus. And um, I haven't regretted it. I yeah, am so, good. so happy that I made the decision that I did. Yeah, I, that can be awkward when you realize that you've interviewed for two positions and then you you kind of say yes to one and then you change your mind. I've been in that situation, um, yeah. but I never regret just going with my gut and being honest. Like if something does come along that mm -hmm. I know 
is a better fit. Um, you know, it's just, I, I just think it's so important to recognize that and just to say, you know, I, I have this other opportunity that I think is more aligned with who I am or, or my skills or whatever it may be. So absolutely good for you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Going that route. There've definitely been moments where I've questioned that decision, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm, but in the big picture, I'm, I'm so happy that I did what I did. And, and there, when I tell people that I have my background as in landscape architecture, they're like, huh, that's really weird. You don't really do anything now that has anything to do with landscape architecture. And what I go back to every time is that I grew up on a farm and my parents were farmers, they still are. Um, and I ha- always had a huge garden. So I always had like a, an appreciation for land mm-hmm. and also for food. Um, my mom always cooked all of our meals from scratch. So it was kind of second nature to me to cook with whole foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the work that I'm doing with Ag Connections affects how we treat our landscape. Um, so there's those connections there. And then I also yeah. wrote my thesis. Um, the title is kind of a mouthful, but it's Farms, Food, and Form on the Fringe, a Development Code to Mitigating Conflict at the Urban Fringe. So oh, I've yeah. been interested, even during my work at um, UVO, I was um, really exploring taking urban farm classes and exploring kind of this intersection of food and landscape. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's related. It's just yeah. a very alternative way of moving forward with a landscape architecture <laughs> degree. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I think that's really, that is really interesting. How we source our food and and how we treat our land is is one of those things that's, it's there, it's always there, but we don't always give the thought to it that it deserves in the course of everyday life and in, you know, in cooking dinner and thinking what, what's, what's going to be for dinner tonight. It's not like you are thinking, oh, well, I should consider how my carrots are affecting the landscape of my city, you know, absolutely. but they are, they really are. So I want to hear more about what agricultural connections does to, um, to bring that sustainable food to kitchens of all sizes, like you said, what does that mean to you and what does that look how does that play out yeah that's a fun question um <laughs> so we i think the the most important aspect of what we do is create relationships with our farmers um, and our our customers so having that intimacy with what the farmers are doing what they're growing um, how it's changing from week to week we are constantly in touch with them mostly via text, it seems like, but also via email, phone call, whatever, um, as a way to really be aware of what's happening on the farm without actually having to be there. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's what their participation and contribution is, is they're the experts about what's going on. And it's um, part of our um, job is really to seek out that information and, and be as real time with what's going on in the farm as a way to be as accurate as we can in how we communicate to our customers. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of built in throughout the week. We're um, in the the wintertime right now. It's a little bit less constant as it is in the summertime. Yeah. So you would expect, Mm -hmm. um, but we're still in touch regularly, weekly with a number of farmers throughout the winter also. Um, So we do updates. So today's Friday. 
So today, tomorrow, and Sunday, we're updating all of our inventory online mm -hmm. so that when our customers go to place orders on Sunday and Monday, that they're ordering from the most accurate list that we can create. Mm -hmm. um, and then so Mondays are our order processing day, our major primary order processing day. Um, and then we send all of the orders to each farm um, that first half of the day. Then farmers are harvesting from kind of Monday midday through Tuesday midday. And then we, we get the food here in two ways. Um, one way is farmers bring it and drop it off here at our warehouse. And the other way is that we go retrieve it from them. Mm. Um, so that's all happening Tuesday. Um, the food arrives here to our warehouse. And then by Tuesday afternoon, evening, we do all of our receiving operations, label everything, um, separated if it's going to our consumer customer group versus our consumer, i.e. like households um, versus our commercial client mm -hmm. um, channel. And then Wednesday is our primary distribution day for both households and our commercial clients. Wow. And, yeah. Just hearing that schedule makes me a little bit tired. That <laughs> is like a really short a lot happens in yeah. a short amount of hours. It's That's true. amazing. Yeah. Um, so you're really working very hard to bring the most accurate, um, or to bring local food directly to consumers and also to wholesale customers. Correct. Um, and so you're acting as that liaison to see what is available and kind of how much, and then you can kind of distribute that between your customers and, and wholesale clients, right? Yes. So um, would, you, would you define what you see as being local food? Um, how would you describe that? How, like what mile radius or whatever value you wanna place on that, what does that mean? Yeah, this is a, also a fun question. <laughs> um, local is, one of those words that we all, as we all know, it's it's kind of can be ambiguous. Um, we see it as a relative term. So, um, for instance, right now, if we can source potatoes from, or if we can source any crop locally, we will prioritize our Central Oregon vendors, our Central Oregon suppliers. If something that our customer wants, we cannot source locally, but we can source from the Willamette Valley. Mm -hmm. That's our secondary zone of sourcing. Um, and then the, the third source of, of sourcing would be outside of Oregon. So at this time of year, like we, we are at, at points during the week um, or during the winter getting some products out of California. Mm -hmm. um, for example, um, let's see, cauliflower. That's one, we got it from Cinco Estrellas in Junction City until about a month ago, and a couple of our customers are still utilizing cauliflower on their menu, and so we work with a company out of um, Eugene, Portland. They started off as a farmer co-op in the 1980s, and now they're a certified organic produce distributor, and um, they're our, our third source of products so that we can keep our customers happy, and the cauliflower that we're getting now is coming out, out of California. So most of our customers are really very attentive to sourcing. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, we were getting delicata squash from Sara Lee from Rainshed Organics until 
I want to say late October, mid-November or so, um, and then her her supply ran out. Then we were getting it from another Oregon farm, also um, through organically grown company, until about two weeks ago, and then their product ran out. And as soon as that happened and we went to make an order for delicata squash and noticed that it was going to be coming from Mexico, we let our customer know. They say, okay, you know, we're not going to do delicata anymore. We're going to find something else that's more regional. Mm -hmm. So they really have that local food value as well. Exactly. I mean, enough to change their menu or to, um, to really, you know, it affects their customers too, right? Trickle down yeah, effect kind yeah. of. Yeah. It, so absolutely it affects their customers and I think really it boils down to the values of the company mm -hmm. and um, that's what we found in our work that most of the most of the customers who are really working hard to put out the extra effort to buy lo as locally as possible are doing it because they themselves care right it's not necessarily because customers are coming in and demanding that they want local it's because the values of the company either the business owners and or the chef but usually it's the business owners themselves really value being as sustainable and um you know which ie would mean buying local food as they possibly can so yeah. we are the company that helps them achieve that goal yeah. And we do the best that we can to, to educate them about these little shifts that happen on the way with where things are coming from. Mm -hmm. So that was a long-winded way of answering your question. <laughs> um, in general, without all of the nuances of a particular crop, we like to say that local is primarily Central Oregon. So um, Deschutes County, Kirk County, Jefferson County. Um, and then uh, outside of that, I usually use the word regional. Mm -hmm. To mean yeah. the rest of Oregon, or even like Southern Washington. That's a good for descriptive word. Columbia yeah. River Valley. Yeah, it's a it's a helpful one. But the best word because it puts a boundary on it and it makes it super super clear in people's minds to have a spatial reference is to just say Oregon food. Right. Because we all know what that means. Yeah. Absolutely. Super clear. Um, when do you think it's important to buy local? over buying something that's certified organic or maybe is should all products be certified organic first and then be looking at where it was grown um what, what are your thoughts on that which one should be top priority well they both have very different implications mm -hmm. um and I, I i think that really it just comes down to personal preference and everyone has a different um, expectation of what they want, you know, to put in their their own bodies. Um, I tend to lean more towards prioritizing something that's local versus something that's organic. Um, most of the time, what I've found is that if something is local, it tends to also be organic. Mm. Whether that means it's certified or not is not really important to me per se. Um, however. It, I think it, the most important thing is to consider the scale of the farming operation. So a small-scale farming operation tends to be, or tends to demonstrate more of the operational decision-making that would reflect something that we would you know, walk up to and be like, oh, these guys are doing right by the landscape, and they're doing mm -hmm. right by the animals, and they're do, doing right by 
taking care of their soil, which, you know, doesn't have negative effects to the hydrological system or to the Mm. air that we're breathing or the animals that are, you know, migrating in and out of that landscape. Um, So I think, and also um, from a social perspective too, it usually there's more respect for the people who are working that land. So there's this kind of social implication for maybe how people are how much people are being paid or the family feel where they're they're in it together and it feels like you know a family of people who are contributing to and growing this nice food and and that thing so whether it's a conventional farm or an organic farm when Mm -hmm. the scale gets really big um, they tend to have a lot of the same implications for the landscape and the people working on that land so that's kind of how I like to look at it is, are you buying food that's from an organic farm that's a thousand acres? Because really that, that organic farm is not, the, the effects of that farm are completely different mm. from the effects of a five acre organic farm. Yeah. So I think that's the question for people to think about if that's important to them or not. You know, we're mm-hmm. all, we all have different priorities, but for me, that's important. Yeah, I really like that. I've never thought about it that way in terms of the scale of the farm and considering um, what my priority is in that area. Mm-hmm. So I like that. I'm going to ponder that. Cool. <laughs> I also want to know why, it, or if you could explain why you think um, it's really important to buy locally sourced and locally grown food. What does that mean? I mean, how, how does that affect the system overall. Yeah, it affects the system in so many ways. And I think most of us have heard this, the the economy, the economic rule of thumb to keep in mind, where if you, you know, the, the whole buy local movement, where if you buy something that's supporting a local business, that the economic impact of your purchase cut, gets folded back into the community times three from if you're buying from a business that's not locally owned. Tied to your community that you live in. Exactly. So it's just that the way that the, you know, the money goes into the business, gets paid to the employees, and then filtered out into the community once, or not employees even, but what whoever the staff are or the owners are, it feeds back into the community much more directly than it would if it's going to um, a non-locally owned business. Um, So taking that to food and local farms, um, if you're buying food from Agricultural Connections or from Central Oregon Locavore, um, you're inherently buying something that's supporting local farmers, or at least Oregon farmers, because both Central Oregon Locavore and Ag Connections, we're purchasing and selling food that's coming from outside of Central Oregon at this time of year. Um, and so, but you could you can know for certain that your purchase is going back to not only a locally owned business, mm-hmm. but it's going back to farmers who are also here in Central Oregon. And spending their money here. And, and then, exactly. maybe going into your store and buying something or your restaurant and purchasing a meal or or whatever exactly it's just more of a a closed loop more of an immediate return into our immediate economy Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's really powerful the other thing that I like to think about is 
Um, our farmers are our neighbors. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're right there. They're a couple miles that way. They're a couple miles that way. They're they're here in our home, and I think we all would say that Central Oregon is home if we live here. Yeah. And Oregon is kind of like our bigger home. Right. And I think that there's something extremely empowering about knowing that you are investing in your home. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that locally sourced food tastes better anyways? And I feel like it's just, you know, fresher. And I, I want to believe that that equates to more nutrients as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's true, but... Mm-hmm. It seems like it should be true. <laughs> it does seem like it should be true. <laughs> and I completely agree with you. Yeah. I think that it, that it um, I mean, nutrient quality, they, they say that a product, after it's been harvested from the soil, it does lose some of its nutrient quality. So I right. I guess I would claim Depletes that, over time. Yeah, yeah. That it kind of makes, there's logic behind that. If you're harvesting something and eating it within a short period of time, you're going to be able to digest more nutrients out of that you know potato or tomato or leaf of spinach than you would if it was you know harvested a week or two weeks prior or even more or whatever yeah so yeah and then of course that's going to affect the flavor um a lot of times the stuff that's being moved around the country it there are varieties that um have been chosen for durability purposes so right. or in, in resilience so that if they're getting moved around that they're still going to look fine when they get to the supermarket um, and a lot of, of smaller scale local farmers are growing things or growing varieties of products that don't have that durability so um, they're just like you know different characteristics of different things to meet mm-hmm. different operational needs in different markets and Mm -hmm. the small scale local farmer doesn't have to meet that operational need um, of their crop to have a characteristic of durability so usually you're sacrificing one thing to gain another Mm -hmm. and the flavor tends to be something that's gained when you don't have to have the durability yeah Mm -hmm. that makes sense um do you think that people are um buying more local now or do you or do, is there still some education or resistance um to as to the need to buy local i feel like there's i guess i'm asking because i feel yeah. like there's a lot of talk about you should buy local and and i think um it's a value that people have mm-hmm. but i don't know that they're acting on it i mm-hmm. would like to hear your opinion do you do you feel like there's been an economic shift to buying local yet um, you know, it's hard for me to know really specifically, um, like statistically, because right. I haven't performed any studies like that. Um, I can speak to what I've experienced here with Ag Connections and kind of what I hear from other, other businesses who are in this market that I'm in. Um, and I think we would all agree with the fact that there is a lot of talk and less action meeting the talk. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's unique to local food. Maybe that's just in general, like how human <laughs> beings are, that yeah. we tend to talk more about wanting to do things than actually following through and doing them. Um, and we all, you know, we all are 
we're struggling with that from here for sure. from time yeah. to time. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there, there seems to be a trend of desiring local food and whether or not that's actually tricking, trickling down and supporting financially and affecting financially the business, the businesses, um, the nonprofits, whomever who are in that um, industry. I'm not sure I've, I would agree that it's matching. Mm -hmm. So I think I would urge people to, if, if that is something that they, they want to support and that is a value that they have, um, to explore what that means for them mm -hmm. and what maybe behavior changes, big or small, they might be able to make in order to better reflect that value that they have. Yeah. Like not buying tomatoes in December. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. I think that's the most basic. Fresh tomatoes anyways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's like the most basic, basic thing there. So what do you think, what do you think that, um, people could do to, to change the way that they buy food? What's, what's like one simple thing that they could do today that would help or, um, edge them towards buying more local ingredients and more local produce? Well, um, the, the big picture thing that I would suggest um, that might not be a, a ask for a behavior change in purchasing yet, um, but just to educate yourself about what means, what is local. Um, the first thing that helps you make that transition is to be aware of what's in season. So in any market, whether it's a you know, a grocery store, I guess. Yeah, there's no farmer's markets right now, so we can't provide that feedback to a farmer's market, and farmer's yeah. market is inherently selling stuff that's in season. But if you go to the grocery store, just start asking yourself the question when you glance around a produce space, what of these items is actually in season and what aren't? And you mm -hmm. can usually tell, if you pay attention to prices, you can usually tell, if you, if you don't know already, you can usually tell by the price. Mm -hmm. So, um, <clears throat> like strawberries in the middle of winter time are generally going to cost a lot more than they will when the, there's a peak season in spring, summer. Right. Um, yeah. so I think just from a, yeah. Well, and I think too, by, um, by the way that the produce, it, the ripeness and the aroma and I mean, not everything is going to have a, a really, um, obvious scent. Um, I'm thinking like broccoli compared to like peaches, mm, you know, you can, right. you can smell a peach when it's in season and you kind of know this is ripe and like the peak of its time. Right. Yeah. Um, so the, the strawberries in the middle of winter made me think of that. Like they, mm -hmm. they don't look anything near yeah. as good right. as a strawberry in the summer or yeah. spring does. So that's kind of another clue, I think, um, mm -hmm. for, for certain produce, not all. But a absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think another thing to look at when you go into the store is um, there is always an earlier season of product coming from, say, Mexico. Like, we're going to get strawberries from Mexico then we before we get strawberries from California, before we get strawberries from Oregon. Right. So yeah. I think there's there's always grocery stores are usually like the first to get something out because they we have this you know like you know sort of sad 
that's not the right word. It's not a set because <laughs> we can all develop a love for parsnips and celeriac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but it's a less abundant, I guess. Yes, so there's, just, there's, there's a less selection. you know, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why it's winter. You yeah, know? it's so colder. Break down. Things don't grow as much. Yeah, not as much grows. So there's, yeah, I think that that grocery stores have that um, that merchandising piece. They want absolutely that. Thing, you know, for Easter or whatever, they want uh-huh. to have the rhubarb and the strawberries in uh-huh. and stuff because um, consumers want that. Yeah. But there's also, um, I think there can also be a drive for consumers to say, you know, no, I'm going to go with something that's more at the peak of its season right now and uh-huh. it's still going to be delicious. It's uh-huh. probably going to be even more delicious and less expensive uh-huh. <laughs> than, um, you know, trying to force it, I exactly. guess. That's kind of where I'm coming from, but. And the other beautiful thing about that is that it helps to create this excitement behind, oh my gosh, like I get to eat strawberries now because I waited this long for them. It creates this like appreciation for when the food is in season that you just can't develop if you're eating it all year round. So true. I think as I've done this now and developed my sense of seasonality over the years, like that's probably the most fun part about it is that you really do get excited when something comes into season and then you really really enjoy it for the period that it's in season and then it goes away and then you're like all right well you know I'm excited for when that comes about again next year but right now I'm going to focus on the next thing that's coming into season yeah so it creates this natural like um rhythm to get creative with different pieces different kinds of food at different times of year and yeah, I think so that's true. super fun for chefs too. It's super fun to like. That's what we all we want to feel richness in the, mm-hmm. the food that we eat, and that's a really really easy and fun way to create richness in the thing that we're you know cooking or eating on our plate. Yeah, I love it. Um, amen to all of that. <laughs> to all of that that you said. Um, so. I also wanted to mention that you've you've talked about central organ locavore. Um, a couple of times and for those of you that don't know or aren't in central oregon that's a a local food store that we have here but they they have um kind of a commitment or a benchmark to only carry local um products and ingredients and work with like local ranchers and farmers um and so i just wanted to point out that you know when you shop if you're looking to buy local and you're not kind of you're not sure where to start Going to a store like that, that's in your area, that works directly with local people, local Mm -hmm. farmers, is um, a really nice way to kind of take the guesswork out of it. Yes. Um, Or ordering a box through through Agricultural Connections or something like that that's in your area is another easy way to do that homework without having to do any Mm -hmm. label reading or or whatever. Absolutely. Um, we take away all of that guesswork for you by doing the work that we do and the food that we are selling is inherently local and seasonal. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. So I just think that's, you know, if you're, if you're trying to buy more local food, then just go to a store that only carries local food. Totally. (laughs) It's like easy. Yep. So what are some other ways that, um, agricultural connections makes it easy to purchase local like we we talked about consumers going in and buying produce but what about um 
your wholesale customers and clients? Yeah, so that service that we mentioned before, where we're constantly in touch with the farmers, um, that is an easy tool for chefs to be able to utilize. 52 weeks a year, um, our website is 24-7 available. We have four delivery days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, and just like we were talking about with for consumers either buying at agriculturalconnections.com or at Central Oregon Locavore, where you can feel guaranteed that that food is local and usually also organic, certified or not. Um, actually, not, not usually. It always is either certified organic or grown using organic practices. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this accessibility uh, to our commercial clients that makes it easy for them to get a, a quite a good selection of local and regionally sourced food um, multiple times of the week year-round. Mm. So there's a convenience there um, that makes it just makes it easier. And it's what we've heard from our clients is that they love what they love is being able to know and feel confident that they're able to get that locally sourced food without having to be in touch with multiple farmers multiple days of the week. So it's a service that they really appreciate. Um, we have one invoice with products from you know 10 different farms potentially, yeah. and it takes away a lot of that, that time that they would otherwise have to put in in order to source local food oh, yeah. year round. Do you find that that is a big barrier or maybe the biggest barrier for restaurants um, carrying local food that is that they have to source it or they feel like they have to put in all this work to get it from a farm? Yeah, I, I think um, there are like over 200 restaurants in town and I certainly haven't spoken to all of the chefs that we don't work with. Um, but my guess is that there are a few things. One of them is just not knowing that we do what we do, um, not knowing that the service that we offer is available for commercial clientele. Um, I think the second thing is this um, predetermination that it's price prohibitive mm. and that it's there's not going to be a way to make it fit a budget. Um, and that is certainly a valid concern at times. Um, however, we have been able to generate some really cool um, negotiated prices for standing orders for a number of restaurants around town. So nice. if they're committing to a regular weekly or a couple times a week order that's in you know a minimum volume, we can usually negotiate a lower price. And then the chef and the restaurant get to market that on their re- on their menu, and they get to say, hey, like for example, Deschutes Brewery, we are serving Cassad Family Farms Kennebec French fries. It's on their menu. They get to kind of have that limelight there mm-hmm. because they've done the work ahead of time to set up this contract, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, that helps them get the price that they need and helps to create reliability also for the farmer to have a guaranteed sale. Mm-hmm. So I think that, but that's another thing is a, a, not a misunderstanding perhaps about the price being able to work for the restaurant. And I think the other thing is um, it's all, even with our clients, it's so much of it is relationship driven. And if a restaurant is currently working with another distributor, they have a relationship with that distributor. And I think there's maybe some tension 
as to pulling business away perhaps from another supplier that's been super loyal and you know mm. they enjoy working together yeah. and and driving some of that that sales towards you know a new business like for instance us ad connections mm-hmm. so i think that that's part of it too but i yeah. think i think all of those things can be overcome yeah you know with sitting down and having a conversation and trying to understand what the obstacles are and then finding solutions together which is what we've done with most of our clients so yeah helps them achieve their goals and helps us feel good about the work that we're able to do to support them yeah for sure and i think um for consumers it's it's really great to go into a restaurant like to shoots brewery or um or anywhere else that would serve local food and see the name of the farm on the on the menu um you know, see the the produce that's being featured from our region or even just over the mountains in the Willamette Valley. It's, I know it makes me feel good about ordering when I'm, you know, when I'm eating out, it's like, well, I'm not cooking, but I'm still supporting mm-hmm. local farms and farmers. So mm-hmm. totally. it's, it's nice to have that. Um, it's nice that restaurants do that little, that shout out when they do, they don't mm-hmm. always, but I like seeing it. Yeah. Yeah, I could give you a list of restaurants, but yeah, I would love a list of restaurants and I'll put that in the show notes. In the in terms of the restaurants and chefs that you work with, how do you know as a consumer that they are buying local? Um, what are some ways that we can find out or or do you know, I mean, how would we know that they're making that a priority mm-hmm. without going to to restaurants and quizzing the chef on, uh-huh. on that? <laughs> um, yeah, that's tricky. Because um, there definitely can be information on a menu or in the branding of, of a, a business that might appear such that they're, you know, all sourcing all of this local food. Um, and maybe they are and maybe they're not. And I think what I like to encourage people to ask is if there is a claim on a menu that says local this or local that, or if they're saying we source from these farms, um, <clears throat> we've had... We've heard a number of farmers from just noticing if they're going to a restaurant or looking on a website that maybe they'd made a sale to a certain place like two years ago, but they haven't made a sale to that place in two years, but their their farm name is still on a menu. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know how to, pol- you know, we don't want to police that because that's just, no one wants to be the bad guy and like call people out and that's not really supportive of our community either so right um, I don't think that's the right approach Um, but I think what we can do is ask where is if something says local say where and and the server very very likely will not know the answer Um, but they can go ask Mm -hmm. the chef and the chef might know um, or somebody in the kitchen might know Um, and so say where, and, and i.e., like, is it coming from Central Oregon? Is it coming from Oregon? Is it coming from the Pacific Northwest? Like, hopefully the, one of those answers is what, it's what you're trying to, to get back from them. Right. And hopefully they'll be able to answer that question. Um, the other question is, what are, what are the names of the farms that you're sourcing from? And, and how often do you source from them? Um, because the frequency is incredibly important. Um, we have a number of commercial clients who they don't buy a ton every week from us, but they buy something every week year round. And that is so incredibly important. We don't 
care if it's a small amount. It's consistent, um, and that consistency speaks volumes about them being able to support us and being able to support the farmer. Um, the businesses that are ordering, you know, two times a year, that's a, it's just a less supportive relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it creates less reliability for, for ag connections, less reliability for the farmer as well. And it's that regular purchase mm-hmm. that actually keeps the bills paid for the rest of us. Yeah. And also um, um, is more substantiated for the restaurant to be able to claim that they're sourcing local. Right. If they're making two purchases a year and claiming that they're supporting local, I just really don't think that that's fair. It does a disservice to the rest of the businesses in town that are committing to making that purchase a regular part of their yeah. their weekly practices. Yeah, I, it does. It comes down to really what your values are, I think. Um, and doing something consistently is going to speak more to that. I mean, it would be like when you were saying that, I was thinking it's like anything else. It's like mm-hmm. is you know, is exercise a value to me? Mm -hmm. Because I would be going to the gym more than two times a year, Mm -hmm. right? You'd be going consistently if it's truly a value. So I think it can extend out, you know, to other things, but it it does speak volumes about what they're, what is important to that restaurant Mm -hmm. um, and how they're affecting that bigger picture Mm -hmm. by being consistent with it. So, right. Yeah. Really good points. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I think really we're just... We're hoping that in the in the end that there's this call to being to having integrity in the the reputation that we're we're putting out there in the community. Yeah. And if you're claiming one thing and not following through with it on the back end, there's there's some tension there in the integrity of that. Mm-hmm. And I would urge anyone to to consider what that means and it I mean we all know it doesn't feel good when we're not feeling integral in in our life so yeah I think that if we can lean more towards the end of the spectrum of having those things match up then we feel better and Mm -hmm. and that's noticed yeah and we don't want that word local to lose its meaning exactly like we don't want it to become like yeah. other other terms in the food industry, which have kind of lost their meaning, like all natural and exactly. You know, um, I think even organic has lost its meaning to a degree. But at least that word is regulated. You know, um, I think that it's important to to remember what local really means and to have the ability to back that up. I yeah. guess exactly what you were saying. It's a great point. Yes. Um, so I wanted to also mention your talk about your produce boxes a little bit. So okay. you put, um, and this is exciting because I tried a couple of them and I'm really, really happy and excited Yay. about them. So, um, so you put what's going to be in each, in each box on your website and on social media. Uh-huh. Um, it's about a week before the box comes out, right? Yeah. Before it's, it's available. It's about a week before the box comes out, but it's about a half of a week before you would need to place your order online yeah. for the box. So um, you have to place orders by Monday, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Monday and at 10 a.m. Yeah. Okay. So like, I go on Instagram, I see your great little graphic that tells me everything that's going to be in the box, and there's what sizes of boxes are available. 
So we have three sizes. We have a small, a standard, and a full. The small is $22 for a one-time week box. Uh, the standard is 30, and the full is 42. Um, if you sign up for a subscription, so those are one-time prices. You buy it, you get one box. Mm -hmm. um, you can also sign up for a subscription, and those are either weekly or every other week. And with a subscription, you get 10% off. Mm -hmm. So for instance, the small box becomes 1980. Um, the standard becomes 27, so on. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to say that I love that you have that option because um, for a household my size, I mean, there's just two adults um, that are gonna be eating out of this box. And so I got the small box to kind of see like what the quantity of produce was mm -hmm. and it was great it was perfect cool. for the two of us and then like for us the frequency is probably every two weeks mm -hmm. and then I feel like there's really minimal like food waste mm -hmm. and we're really getting to enjoy everything in the box mm -hmm. um and I I think that you know with the traditional like CSA um setup where you're getting it from a farmer or whatever um it can be hard to to guess the right quantity and the right frequency and for a house of two adults, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I like that you have that option, that there's um, different sizes. And I guess it goes really well for your tagline of bringing sustainable food to kitchens of all sizes, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> it does. Because, yeah, local food is important to us, but it's been a challenge, I think, for us to find a way to source it um, in this way you mm -hmm. know with, like we want to support a farm by doing a csa box but it's always been a little bit cost prohibitive because there's so much in the box and just more than we can use for sure so this is a great option for smaller households i'm so happy to hear that, <laughs> that we, we complement the other offerings that are out there in central oregon and yeah for sure yeah and i do i also like um that you have the potential for greater variety versus one farm that is doing CSA boxes. They may not be growing, you know, kale and... Um, Strawberries? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say kale and mustard greens, you yeah. know. They're not growing mm -hmm. all the... Different kinds. All the different kinds of greens, yeah. right? Like, they're just maybe focusing on one. Um, but with the box, you get the chance to try all these micro varieties that your grocery store is not going to have because mm -hmm. you mentioned the durability issue or other other factors but mm -hmm. um like we got to try some varieties of kale that i had no idea existed and um and you know we both count ourselves pretty knowledgeable about food mm -hmm. and in both boxes we've been <laughs> like whoa never had this this produce variety before and it's been really fun to explore um explore that and just and be sort of like woken up by food again a little bit you know That's it's so like cool we've had kale you know in day in and day out but we had um a couple of different kinds of of greens and stuff in these boxes that we'd never had before so it's super fun to awesome. experiment with very cool. That's great yeah. feedback. That's what we're hoping for. And yeah. it seems to be a good fit for people who want just a little bit of exploration and just enough kind of pushing this awareness of what we're used to, the foods that we're used to, because I certainly have open, opened my mind as well. Like I 
didn't know so many things until doing this work. So yeah, yeah, I think we're all in this together and we all have a learning curve and that's part of what makes it so fun. Yeah. Have you considered putting um, recipe ideas with the the produce offerings that are in each box? Because like for instance, fava greens, I Mm. didn't know how to use those or what the flavor was like. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I'm just wondering if you thought about doing like suggested cooking, Mm -hmm. you know, methods or whatever. Yeah. We've had a couple different ways of doing that, I guess, for the past number of years. The most recent idea that we experimented with, with was a recipe card and we put it in every box every week and it had a recipe on one side and then it had the list of box contents on the other side. And honestly, I, I, think that they were used by a number of people, but from a logistical point of view and a cost point of view, it just got to a point where it didn't make sense. But I do, we do have a blog that um, I need to relink to our new website and I'd love to start getting like a weekly recipe added to that so that people can yeah. have an online place to go and say, okay, yeah, where do, what could we do with fava greens? They were in our box this week. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be an awesome resource and maybe you want to contribute some recipes. I was going to say, maybe we could partner with, <laughs> yeah. with each other and that would be really fun. Yeah. And, um, and just a fun, like documenting of, of my kind of, uh, learning about these new ingredients too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's talk more Great. after the podcast about it. that. But, <laughs> um, I also wanted to say that even though it probably takes more work for you, I love that you put what's going to be in the box, that it's not that I'm not at the mercy of just whatever Mm. is available. You know, I mean, it's, it's not like I can dictate what's going to be in my box, but Uh I at least know this is what I'm purchasing. Yes. And, you know, and then I can kind of say, okay, yes, we like most of those things. I'm not sure what some of those things are, but that's okay. Right. You know, it helps me as a consumer be like, it helps me click that buy button uh-huh. just a little bit easier. Yeah, I, I we've so. gotten that feedback from other folks before too that it just it yeah there's some trust that gets built there For knowing sure. that you know what to expect. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we do that every every Thursday at the latest Friday we'll we'll publish the the upcoming week's box contents on our website agriculturalconnections.com. Um, if you click on the what's fresh tab. That's the tab that says what's in the the upcoming week's box. And then for new customers, there's also you can click back three weeks so you can see what was in last week's box and the week prior. So you can kind of understand like the season of food at this time of year. Um, Yeah. And we try to not overload people with, you know, six pounds of potatoes every single week. We do (laughs) five pounds of potatoes. We might skip potatoes the next week and then do potatoes, you know, two weeks later, that kind of thing. Try and keep it. Try and like... Katie and I both try and be aware of how we would want that food in our kitchens and then mm-hmm. be mindful of how it's getting used in everyone else's kitchen and, and design accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's super fun. There's another way to adapt your box. Um, you, if we had one customer actually mentioned this week, she said, if I could get more shiitake mushrooms or more broccoli, you know, if I'm expecting it, if I'm having a dinner party this weekend or something, how could I add on more? And what we decided is that as long as we know by that Monday 10 a.m. deadline, if a customer wants to beef up certain parts of their box, um, we are happy to 
adapt it for whatever reasons you have um, and add on more product because we're already ordering those things from the farm that week anyway so it's easy for us to just add on you know a couple pounds of this couple pounds of that mm-hmm. so that's one way to adapt it um, we, we won't subtract anything um, from an operational point of view that's too complicated but we can increase mm-hmm. if you want more of something the way to change something out say you don't want parsnips because no one in your family will eat them um, we have a community trade box at the pickup at Central Oregon Locavore, and you can trade one thing out of your box or however many things out of your box and trade in something for that you like. So we have like four or five things nice. that you can choose from. Yeah. So there's some options there. Yeah. yeah. That's great. So I wanted to shift a little bit and ask you more about the business side of agricultural connections. Okay. I'm curious when you first started coming from that landscape architecture background, was there there things that you particularly struggled with in working in this industry? And how did you kind of overcome those or are you still struggling with certain aspects of your job? Hmm. Um, I think that there, the thing that I struggle with, honestly, is that there's a perception that food should be cheap, and it's hard to, because I don't want to do any convincing or persuading. I don't enjoy doing that. Um, it's hard to recognize that there's a there's a hesitation toward spending money on good food maybe a higher percentage of disposable income than what we've gotten used to Mm -hmm. Um, there are many ways that buying local food doesn't have to cost more money than buying food from a grocery store Um, there's been a second the second time a second year that they've done it a fill your pantry event um, offered in the fall so it's like all oh, this fall abundance and oh, you yeah. go and you get really great prices and you, you know fill up a wagon of food and you store it for the winter time and you can get really great deals on stuff um, there's ways to get bulk amounts of local food that will help save on cost um, <clears throat> our prices we've done studies actually the Ben Bulletin did an article a number of years ago and compared the value of our family box, which is now called our standard box, to the same ingredients at both Safeway in the certified organic section mm. and Whole Foods. Yeah. And we found that our prices were pretty much exactly on par with yeah. Whole Foods. Um, That's what I felt with that small box is yeah. like I could go to the grocery store and spend about $22 and mm-hmm. probably come out the same if not a little bit less than what I was getting in the box, mm-hmm. I felt like. Especially when you have those great mushrooms. I feel like mushrooms can be mm-hmm. expensive in mm-hmm. the grocery store, mm-hmm. especially for the varieties that you're getting in. So mm-hmm. anyway, just my two cents yeah. about, no, about value. Yeah, That's good to, to feel, to hear that it, like, mm-hmm. if that's actually what you've experienced too. Um, that's comparing the one-time price for the box yeah. and if you do the subscription you're getting a better price so it's probably actually a little bit less right. per pound or quantity um, and I will I feel very confident in saying this the food that you're getting is more fresh so it's going to have a longer shelf life in your refrigerator it's also going to 
taste more theoretically because it's fresher and it's also supporting your local farmer neighbors. So there's yeah. three awesome things that you get out of that and you're not paying any more money. What, what the drawback for some folks is, is that um, at, le- at least with Ag Connections, you have to plan, you have to order by a certain time and day, and then you have to go pick up your food on a certain time and day. So it's not a grocery store. We're not open, you know, 9 to 9 p.m., seven days a week. You can't just drive and get it whenever you want. You have to, there's some planning required, which is where Locavore comes in as a, as a service in our community to be able to have that store experience, which 83% of people in the United States buy their food from a traditional grocery store. So buying in an alternative format through a CSA, through the farmer's market, through agricultural connections, um, farm stands, et cetera, that requires a different behavior. And that behavior is justified, I think, in most most people's minds when they place a higher value on what they're getting for that extra effort that they're putting out because it is a behavior change for most people. Also, I think most of us still like to get you know, avocados and bananas and tea or chocolate or coffee or whatever yeah. that isn't local. Um, we yep. actually sell coffee beans from Lone Pine, so we do sell coffee. Mm, um, we also sell meats. We also sell some cheeses. We also sell some milk um, that's from Oregon um, So and eggs. So we have, you know, a certain selection of, like, regular things that people would need for their home kitchen. Um, but we don't have the plethora of items that right. a Whole Foods has or a Newport Avenue market or something like that. So yeah, I think the next move that I see for Ag Connections in order to continue serving this market is to work more with the grocery stores to get the local food into the grocery store because that's where most people are shopping. Mm, yeah. I think that that's the next step. That is, sounds like a really good natural mm-hmm. next move for you guys. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything that you feel like you've finally kind of figured out about this industry or your role mm-hmm. um, and you feel like you've mastered, like you've just, you've got it down? Yeah. Well, I think I'm always feeling like there's room for improvement, <laughs> but I do feel like the the knowledge that I've absorbed in the last seven and a half years um, has really given me a level of a level of knowledge that's maybe like on a level of expertise in some areas. Um, and I think that that liaison position that we serve is something that's pretty unique um, for, for from a skill, a skill point of view and like a, just a big picture understanding of what it takes to get that done. So I would say that, you know, we're in the process of mastering that. I think the element that we're that I'm still trying to develop is um, recognizing that honestly this time of year like December January February is the nugget of importance for the whole year this is the time of year that we're planning with the farmers we're planning with the chefs we're sitting down and we're creating a schedule that says okay David and Megan are going to be growing this thing this list of things and they're going to be hoping to harvest X number of pounds or X number of bunches from April through September. Mm. And that creates reliability in the the commercial clientele being able to sit down and be like, okay, I can do some menu planning based off of these expected crops. 
And I think that is like the next big development from what we provide as a service to both the farmers and the chefs is this guaranteed kind of transaction. Um, it reduces the, the level of fear about can I rely on this or can I not? And it, it's, I don't know, that's, it's super fun. I love doing it. It's, I'm realizing that it's in, integral to what we do in order to grow the volume because the volume is where I stay in business and the volume is where the farmers stay in business. And that's what we need is we need more volume. We need to move more food. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's, I think that's the skill that I would say that I've developed <laughs> that I, I've continued to find to be super, super fun and intriguing. And it's mysterious enough that it keeps me excited. And also I can figure it out enough where I feel like I'm accomplishing things all the time. So yeah, yeah, that's great. What are some common misconceptions or misnomers about this, um, about your business, about agricultural connections or about local food that you would like to set right or let people know about? Yeah. Um, in the history of the business, I think even before I met Andrew, I remember I, I discovered agricultural connections online. I was like, oh, they're buying from the valley. They're, I don't like that. <laughs> like They should be supporting Central Oregon farmers. And I remember I had this sort of pious attitude about it not being truly local. Mm -hmm. And then I took on the position and then a couple months later I bought the business from Andrew. And here, you know, just about seven years later, I'm still running it. And I've learned that um, that attitude is out there in the community about what we do. And I think it's unfortunate because um, it is absolutely vital that we have relationships with farmers outside of Central Oregon. Um, there is no way that we would be able to support Rain Shadow Organics, Boundless, Cassad, Windflower, Fields Farm, any of our local farmers without the assistance and contribution from the Valley farmers who we work with. Yeah. Um, it creates trust with the customers year round and um, they're complimentary and absolutely um, a must in order for us to do the work that we do. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that that's something that I've, I've come to really appreciate about the, the model that we are. Yeah. And I think it goes back to that, um, deciding for yourself what local means, mm -hmm. um, because no matter where you are, you know, if you're listening to this and you're even out of Oregon, mm -hmm. you can, you can kind of reframe that to be, um, you know, is something within my state and like be be happy that you're supporting local food in that way. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't, ha I mean, it's, it, you can broaden your own horizons, I guess is what I'm trying to yeah. say. Like you can open that up to, to mean, um, I'm supporting local food, even though it's not from central Oregon, it's from Oregon as a whole. So, yeah. um, yeah, I think wherever you are, you can, you can kind of take that away and look at where your food is coming from on that bigger scale. Sure. As well. I think it's a balancing act that deserves sensitivity for sure because um, the values that we represent are the reason that we draw the customers that we draw because there's an alignment of values and we absolutely want to be sensitive to making sure that 
we are really primarily supporting as, mon as many local, i.e. Central Oregon farms as we can, and then secondarily the Valley, and then you know, I said this earlier, um, and, and so it, it deserves to be treated with care, mm -hmm. and it also deserves to be understood from a perspective of the restaurant and what their expectations are, and some restaurants are gonna be perfectly okay with getting Brussels sprouts from California, Others aren't. They're going to say, we don't want those anymore. So what we try and do, both with our, our household program and our commercial program, is to be extremely transparent. Yeah. So we, we let it be super clear, like, this is coming from here, this is coming from here, and then people, customers can make the decision for themselves about what fits, feels well for them. Right, yeah. And I think, too, as a consumer, you can kind of think about what you want your, your levels to be right, like you can say, well, this this is important to me to buy in in a fifty mile radius mm -hmm. or something. But beyond that, I'm gonna make the decision to buy within you know 150 miles. Right. And beyond that, I'm gonna think about Pacific Northwest, totally. like you said earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So yeah, I think it's great for everyone to kind of think through that a little bit, so that when they go to the store, they can make these decisions, and they already know. Yeah well, I'm not going to buy from Mexico because that's too far mm -hmm. <laughs> or whatever it may be. Right. You know, exactly. Um, do you have any pieces of advice for someone that would like to work in the food industry or maybe even, um, do something along the lines of what you do, um, facilitate and encourage local food and local farmers. And, mm -hmm. um, what would you say to somebody that's, you know, maybe just starting out or wanting to to get into the food industry? I would say do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because it's so rewarding and it might not be as financially rewarding yet as, as we would hope for, but really that's not the motive for me and never has been either. So if you're feeling some sort of pull in that direction, I would say go for it. Um, I think that there are opportunities out there and I think that you can create opportunities that might not be super obvious from the get-go. Um, I've recently had three different women come, again, women, I don't know what it is about women in food at, on the HDFFA board that was, we were all women. I did another collaborative meeting a few weeks ago, all women, so I don't know what yeah. that means. <laughs> there are a number of growing women farmers too, so that's yeah. really yeah. exciting to see. Um, but I had had these three women approach me and they were like, we you know, are super curious about what you do and we'd just love to sit down and chat and they were all amazing people and I wanted to work with all of them and I think that the more, and I've actually seen one of them kind of evolve in the Bend community and she's just been super proactive and putting herself out there and connecting with people and she's created some, some work for herself because she has been so motivated and so driven and she's doing volunteer work at Locavore and now she's helping cook at Planted and she's actually helping me with a little bit of part-time stuff so she's oh great she's exploring and I think you you explore and you develop that opportunity over time because you stay committed to it yeah so I think that yeah stick with your stick with yourself and your your hunch that you're feeling um, explore all open doors, talk to people, um, know that this is a, this is a long-term road 
And I don't think it's going anywhere. I don't think it's going to like fizzle out. I think this is a movement that we'll continue to see grow and, and mature. And I think this is a great time to get involved because it's still somewhat young mm, and yeah. it creates this like you can do what you want with it because totally. it's still young and developing and that is makes it really fun. Yeah, and I think, yeah, there's lots of creative um, opportunities to um, bring to bring local food into the forefront and to to make those connections and to to bring it to consumers. I mean, there's um, it just feels a little bit like wide open still, mm-hmm. and there's still a lot of problems that we need solved. Mm-hmm. So we need we need people to to see what those are and to come up with creative ideas to. Mm-hmm. Um, make solutions for us all yes. so that we can all enjoy more local food and support our farmers. Yes. So well said. <laughs> um, where can people find agricultural connections and where can they order produce boxes from? Um, agriculturalconnections.com. Pretty easy. Great. Yeah. And are you on social media at all? Do you want to mention how people can follow you? Yeah. Also, our, our IG handle is Agricultural Connections. Um, our Facebook page is the same. Okay. And we, we try and do posts on Instagram. Um, like you said earlier with our, our produce box contents for the upcoming week. So you can find information about that there as well as on our website. Um, we also have a link on our website says for, for, um, there's a wholesale dropdown so you can learn more about how to become a commercial client. Um, we have a separate website for ordering for our commercial clients. So if you go to agriculturalconnections.com, know that that is for household purchases only that's for the produce boxes etc um and then we have a different website that's our wholesale pricing for commercial clients okay awesome i will be sure to link to all of that in the show notes and um this is going to be episode 15 and should be airing the day after valentine's day so exciting (laughs) show some love to local food yeah um got a lot of pinks and reds and whites in our produce box next week nice <laughs> yay so cute um so thank you again elizabeth for being on the podcast and um you can find show notes for this episode at picklejarstudios.com slash tough cookie and you can follow me on instagram at tough cookie podcast so thanks again I wanted to tell you, too, that we um, had some people over for dinner last night. Yeah. And we made the fava greens. Oh, cool. Um, and they were really good. They were a big hit. How did you them? We did, um, I just found a recipe online, and it was through Pop Sugar website, the Pop Sugar website. I don't oh. know if you never see stuff from there. So we just, the... I just cooked like some spaghetti and then drained it and then sauteed onion and garlic and olive oil uh-huh. and then put the pasta back into that to like warm warm it up when we were close to eating and then threw in the washed, I like picked off the leaves so there was like the whole okay. fava green leaf, okay. leaves. Instead of all the Kind of like spinach, like you would do with spinach or something. Okay. And then just kind of folded it into the pasta for a few minutes so just really lightly cooked it and but like they wilted a little bit Uh and got all into the pasta and then um 
when I was serving it, I topped it with Parmesan cheese and chopped pistachios. Roasted salted pistachios. It was so good. That's a cool idea. Yeah, I was thinking that wasn't in the recipe. I was like, I need, I want like a nut in there, and I thought texture. I meant to get some pine nuts, but those are kind of expensive. And I had bought pistachios at Central Oregon Locavore last time I was in there, so I just did that. And they're my husband's favorite nut, so awesome. They're pretty good. So he loved it. Yeah, yeah, everybody loved it. So and none of us had had fava greens before. I tasted them raw, like before I served them, you know, uh-huh. just to see how they, Everyone what is. they would be like. Yeah. But, um, so anyways, everybody was like, oh, fava greens. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now we're, that's so cool. Yeah. We're like, we got to make that again. <laughs> that's so cool. I love that. Like just yeah. educating people in just like little cool, intimate ways about a new vegetable and they grow so easily in in Oregon I mean you're from the no valley idea. but yeah I know I didn't either until doing the work that I do mm-hmm. yeah yeah very cool it's super cool that's good to hear I'm losing my wording I'm trying to ask you about is locally food t- is it tastes better uh-huh. um yeah that's maybe a we tricky question is that that's kind of tricky you could just say do you think locally food is better <laughs> Oh, well, we all know you make it so easy. Uh, Of course Uh, it does, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, there we... Sorry. No, go ahead. (laughs) There was a question that you had. What was it? Oh, if there's one change that people can make. Is that what you're... Is that the question? Oh, that's going to come later. Okay. Well, then I won't ruin it because that's what I was going to say. No, that's fine. Just to educate people for people to educate themselves about seasonality of food. Like what you just said with the tomato is exactly what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, we can go into that now. Okay. No, sorry. <laughs> oh, that's okay. <laughs> this is my podcast. We can do whatever we want. That's right. <laughs> I love it. There's no hard and fast <laughs> rules. So, um, 